uh, right now. Jesus, we want to see people come to know you the way we know you. It is it, it's the only way to heaven. It changes our lives. And Lord, as you know, people are searching for peace. They're searching for answers. They're searching for purpose. And you are the answer to their questions. They don't even know it. We pray for them, Lord. We pray that you begin to stir on people's hearts that we'll give these invitations to this week. That when they get this invitation and all those we dropped in the mail uh, this last week, all around Rancho Penasquitas, we pray as they get those invitations, that you touch them, speak to them. We pray they are drawn into this place next Sunday and that they will say yes to you and their life will be changed forever. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. And then the next step after you give your life to Christ is learning how to operate in the power of God, which is our, our associate pastor's new book, Reluctantly Supernatural in the Age of Reason. Unbelievable book. Best book I've ever read on the uh, gift of prophecy in particular and how to operate in the gift of prophecy. Great stories in here. You're really going to enjoy this book. So, uh, Mark, do we have more out there? I know last week we, we sold out of them. Okay. All right. Great. Okay. So our goal is no more invitations left and no more Mark's books left. That's our goal for today. All right. Is that good? Also, um, I want to start out the new year. I left my Bible somewhere. Yeah, it might be back there. Maybe. I have it memorized anyway. In the Greek. Nope. All right. Thank you, Jesse. Thanks, man. So next week, or uh, New Year's Eve, you do not want to miss Colin. I mean, he came to our leadership retreat, and uh, we had 17 leaders, and he rocked us. I mean, his message is so powerful. He uh, has a master's in uh, theology. He was in the ministry, and then his life fell apart. He went to a church. They restored him. Then he found he's called to the business sector. Now he uh, runs five businesses, extremely successful, and yet he loves, loves, loves the local church. He's got a great message for you on how to be successful in the marketplace. And so I said, you know what? You need to come preach this message to our whole congregation New Year's Eve, leaving 17, going into 18, it'll really be a shot in the arm. So he'll be here New Year's Eve. And then um, on New Year's Day, I want to launch a 30 for 30. That is praying and being in the Word 30 minutes every day for 30 days. And I want want to include fasting in it. What I would love to see happen, you guys, is for us to pray and be in the Word 30 minutes every day for the first 30 days of January, launching the New Year with God. And every day, somebody in our church is fasting. So we have an online calendar. You'll be able to see it in your bulletin. Go on our website. We'll talk about it. All you got to do is click on that link or the QR code will be in the bulletin next week. And choose a day, two days, three days, whenever. Maybe sporadic days or meals. So you'll have a calendar come up. Just plug your name into a day. Five people can fit on, on one day. And we can double up. It doesn't matter. But I would love to see every day in January covered with somebody in our spiritual community fasting. And I just know it is going to release heaven on earth. So I want us to fast for, for intimacy with Christ, 
increase of the will of God be done in your life in 2018 and in gathering of souls for 2018. Intimacy, increase, and in gathering. That's what we're praying for. Amen? Okay. All right. Love it. Three people are going to fast with me in January. Looks like I'm going to have to cover about 27 of those 30 days. No, I'm kidding. I know you're going to do it. It's going to be awesome. So this morning, I want us to launch into uh, our last message out of the Gospel of John. Have you all enjoyed going through the Gospel of John? Hasn't this been great? Amazing Gospel. And so today, we're going to finish it up. And then next week, we'll have our Christmas Eve service. The following week, Colin will be with us. And then January 7th, we're going to launch into a brand new teaching series called Loving God Back. And uh, really, really looking forward to it. But let's wrap up the Gospel of John today. Let's pray together and let's receive and welcome the Holy Spirit who is the teacher. Holy Spirit, we love you in this place. You are the one that opens our hearts. You're the one that opens our understanding to understand spiritual things. You know Jesus in every way. And Jesus said that you, your ministry, is to reveal him to us. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this message today. Amen. So, what I'm going to do today is a miracle. I'm going to cover the last three chapters in one message. And I know that Gary Mancini doesn't think I can do it. Because he has been uh, part of our church for a long time, was an elder for many years, and I am going to prove him wrong because I know what he's thinking. These last three chapters, yeah, right. You notice how I didn't put a time limit on it? Very savvy. And these last few chapters, Jesus, well, let me put it this way. John opened and closed his gospel the same way. He opened it as it relates to Jesus in relationship with his first followers. We are now his followers in the 21st century. And what he says to them, he says to us. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The first thing he said to his first followers was, follow me. The last thing he says to his followers in the last chapter of the Gospel of John is, follow me. And then... In between those bookends of follow me, we get to see who Jesus is. And it causes us to want to follow him. Now he's about to go be crucified. And then he's going to be raised from the dead. And then he's going to go to heaven. And so these last few chapters, he teaches us how to successfully follow him. Until either we see him face to face in heaven or he comes back to get us uh, in the rapture. So today we're going to look at Jesus teaching us how to effectively follow him. And I, I've extracted five things out of these last three uh, chapters. And here they are. The first one is relationship. He always begins and ends with relationship. We're going to see that. Secondly is reality. The lens that we look through. Do we have a biblical worldview or a secular worldview? Thirdly, you're going to see in these three chapters, resources. Him giving us the supernatural ability to actually follow him. Fourth, we're going to see the representing or representing Christ of the world, which is 
our calling, and then finally restoration because none of us do it perfectly. We need him to pick us up and uh, brush off uh, the dust off our knees and get us headed back on the path again continuously. We're going to see these five key components, relationship, reality, resources, representing or representing Christ to the world, and restoration. So following Jesus is a lot like me walking with my dog. I take, I take my dog for a walk pretty much every day, and there's a little path that we go on. I know where we're going to begin. I know where we're going to end. One of the problems for him is he's blind. Yeah. But did you know, this is really interesting, did you know that a blind dog or blind animal actually over time ends up having maps or grooves created in his brain or her brain so that they literally have internal maps and they know where to go, even though they're blind. Did you know that? It's amazing. I mean, it's true. Like our dog, we have six, we have eight people living in our home. We have, I mean, that's a lot of people with a lot of stuff and wheelchairs and skateboards. And I mean, it's just crazy. And my dog, Oreo, who's blind, literally navigates around and hardly bumps into anything anymore when he was first blind is like poor dog <laughs> he was just banging his head everywhere but now he can navigate all over except now that it's christmas and unfortunately not as old, but if, you, if you change the furniture it's it's really a nightmare did you know the bible talks about you and i renewing our minds do you know that you and i have grooves in our brains like actual physical grooves in our brains that are patterns from our old life, from our childhood, from the way we see ourselves, the way we see one another, who we believe we are, our habits. Literally reforming habits is, is actually creating, not getting rid of the old grooves in your brain because they're permanent, but creating new grooves. That's why the Bible says to renew your mind with the Word of God. As you meditate His Word and think His thoughts and memorize the Bible, you're literally creating new grooves in your brain to th- mind to think like God. Isn't that interesting? That's why it's critical to be in the Word. So Oreo is blind. He's got these maps in his head, but he's still a dog. He needs help. Did you know that Jesus calls you and I sheep? Did you know that sheep are dumber than dogs? So it's really not a compliment. Now, the intimacy part is is nice. I mean, a sheep and a shepherd, I mean, he loves his sheep. But they are dumb animals. I mean, I guess it would have been more of a compliment for him to call us a dog, but he calls us sheep. But I have a dog. We walk. When I walk with Oreo, I know where I'm going, and I'm walking, and I'll turn around, and he's nowhere to be found. I have to start calling, Oreo, Oreo, Oreo. I turn around. There he is and behind some bush. You know, he's sniffing and spraying. I'm like, Oreo, get over here. And then he'll come out, and he'll come walking toward me. And then I'll be walking again, and I'll look behind. He's not there anymore. I'm like, where is he? And he's like, there he is. And somebody's yard. Like, get out, Oreo, get out of the yard. Does this sound like Jesus and us as we're following him? Do you see the metaphor here? And then, of course, he'll be, and then I'll turn back. and like, Where is he again? And then he'll be rolling in something dead. I mean, so I, have to, so I have to go to where he is, help him out of the person's yard because he doesn't, he's blind, and get him back on the path and say, follow me. Listen, Oreo, come on. I'll put him on the leash. When we first start, we have to get on Montecito, which is an actual busy road. So I have him on a leash and I have him real tight. Then when we get to the road, we can go back into the dirt roads. I take the leash off and give him some freedom. But every once in a while, I've got to put that leash back on him. 
How much is this like our walk with Christ? I mean, we're off rolling in dead stuff, sniffing stuff. We should be in somebody's yard we shouldn't be in with the wrong place and the wrong face doing the wrong thing. And what's Jesus saying, right? Adam and Eve, Adam, where are you? Hiding behind a bush like Oreo, right? I don't know what he was doing back there. but So he has to go find them. He has to come get us. And he comes to where we are. And then he takes us to where he is. And he leads us. Until we finally make it home. This is what it's like when we follow Christ. So where does it begin? I want us to open in John chapter 18. How does Jesus help us successfully follow him until we get to heaven? John verse, chapter 18 verse 1 and 2. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? Jesus often met there with his disciples. You know, Jesus actually called them in John chapter 15, his friends. Do me a favor real quick. Can you just close your eyes for just a moment? I want to ask you to imagine something. I won't do anything weird, I promise. Imagine yourself at home, let's say on your couch. Everybody has a couch, probably, or a chair. You're sitting there, and you're watching a show, maybe Food Network Star, maybe football, maybe, you know, a good show that wouldn't offend Jesus, of course. And you're sitting there, okay, you're there, you're sitting there, and one of your best friends is sitting there with you. You see him or her, and you're just enjoying each other's friendship. Okay, now imagine that that's Jesus. open your eyes can you can you imagine that like for real can you feel it can you i mean can you believe that he would do that like he would be there watching a football game with you and laughing and enjoying it that he would actually be with you like a friend would be with you does it make you uncomfortable for him to be that close right there in your private personal space It wouldn't if you knew that he is good through and through. Knows your worst of your worst, knows your best of your best, and loves you anyway. And will sit there and laugh with you, cry with you, talk with you, actually have a conversation about stuff. This is what Jesus did when he was in the earth. He used to go to Lazarus' house all the time with Mary and Martha and hang out there, recline on the couch, talk. I mean, God, what kind of a God do we serve? God who became a human being and then hung out with people to the point where he called some of them his friends. That's what he calls us, his friends. And now he gives us his Holy Spirit who's with us all the time. And talks to us and shows us things and communicates to us about Christ, who is our friend. Jesus always begins us following him with friendship.
I want us to look at verse 6, not because it has anything to do with the message, but simply because I love it. Verse 6. Now, when he said to them, I am he, they came to arrest him. They drew back and all fell to the ground. I just love that. <laughs> awesome. They come to arrest him and they say, who's Jesus? And he says, are you Jesus? Yeah, that's me. And we're talking about 600 of a, a, a battalion, about 600 armed soldiers all fall to the ground. That's the first falling out under the power of God. If you wanted to have biblical precedent for it, it's right there. And so you know what they do? They get up and then they ask him again and then they arrest him. I'd be like, I'm not arresting him. Are you serious? I just love that part. Anyway. So the first piece is relational. Now let's go to chapter 18, verse 36 and 37. And we are going to look at the reality. Once you and I begin to relate to Jesus, I want to back up for a second. Jesus wants to spend time with you. This is, I was speaking to one of our, uh, well, I was speaking to someone who is serving Christ with all their heart, but they reached out for prayer this week. And so I met with them and I said, okay, tell me what's going on with you. And they're saying, man, I am so stressed out. I am just, you know, the pressure of life. Man, I just, and he, and, and he was just pouring out his heart to me. And I asked him one question. I said, how is your devotional life? Just your one-on-one with Jesus. Just spending time alone with him, getting quiet with him. And he said, it's not happening. I said, all right, well, there's your problem. All right, what do you want for dinner? Bought him some dinner, laughed a little bit, Done. Because, you see, it's in that place of connection with Christ, personally, where you experience his grace, his peace, his wisdom, his clarity, his strength, his faith, his nature to be able to handle whatever the day throws at you. I am more than a conqueror. Through Christ who loves me. I can do all things through Christ who is strengthening me. Isn't that true? And that's where it begins. And so the next morning, 4.30, I get up. Because that's what time he has to get up. He's going to get on it. So at 4.30, about 4.45, I send him a text. Get out of bed. Get off your phone. And then I was going to send him a verse that says... Isaiah says, the Lord God awakens me early in the morning. He awakens my ear and gives me wisdom. I thought, where is that verse? I mean, Isaiah, we're taught, you know, you've seen the Bible before, how thick it is and how thin the pages are, right? How many of you have a Bible? You know, all right. I'm like, where is that verse? 445 in the morning. So I just flip my Bible open, lands on it. Isn't that amazing? How many of you that's happened to you before? Just raise your hand, right? Okay, after the 500th time, we know it's not a coincidence, is it? No. God can do that. Did you, do you believe God can do that? God can't do that. Why couldn't God do that? Certainly God can do that. I had not read that verse in a long time, so it wasn't like, you know, my Bible was creased there. It just blows me away. Anyway, the relational piece is where following Christ begins, continues, and ends. That's where we get the power. Then we get into the reality piece. The lens we look through as we're following Christ. 
Look at chapter 18, verse 36 and 37. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, now you understand, I'm jumping. Jesus has been arrested and now he's going to Pilate, who is the the Roman uh, overseer of Jerusalem to make sure that this uh, occupied city doesn't have any kind of uprising from the Jewish people. So Roman is occupied, and so this guy's overseeing Jerusalem. Pilate therefore says to Jesus, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you rightly say that I'm a king. Now you have to understand, that's dangerous language. Because this isn't a democracy they're living in. This, this, This Caesar is king. There's one king. And if anybody tries to rise up as a king, they get executed. And so Pilate is saying, are you a king? Because they're saying you're the you know, king of the Jews. And Jesus says, yes, you rightly say I'm a king. I mean, that right there is a death sentence. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world. That I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Jesus said... Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. Therefore, if we are his followers, neither is ours. That's where our reality begins. That's the lens we begin looking through. This world is not our kingdom. This is temporary at best. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says that our lives are like vapor. We're like the flowers of the field. We blossom and then we, and then we die. And when we put our tentacles into this temporary life so deeply, that's where so much stress comes from. That's where we lose our sense of purpose. That's where we lose our peace. Jesus said, for this cause I have come to the earth. Our cause is to follow Christ. And his kingdom is not of this world. Now, it's in this world. Didn't Jesus say that about us? He said, we are in it, but what? We are not of it. What does that mean? Look at the world. The, the word world is cosmos. This word he uses is, means a world system alienated and from and opposed to God. Lying in the power of the evil one. So we are in the public sector. We are in the private sector. We are in the seven mountains of society, family, media and entertainment, and news, arts, the business sector, the education sector. We are in all seven mountains. God's people are everywhere. And we are to be the salt and light of the world. You're a little light. And wherever you go, you're to be bringing light. Well, what does that look like? Well, the Bible talks about our value systems, Jesus' value systems, his core values, as light or dark. And the Bible is very clear about it. The book of Ephesians chapter 5 says, you used to be darkness, but now you are light. Therefore, walk as children of light. And do not participate in darkness. Then it goes down talking about different value systems. Now, what was happening here was there were a whole bunch of new believers 
in, in the latter part of the first century when John is writing his gospel because they couldn't kill him. They tried and he wouldn't die. So they bring him back. So now he's in Asia Minor and he's writing the gospel as an older man, as an old man. And what he's, the terminology he uses a lot is eternal life. Because what was happening was there were believers all over the Roman Empire that are using the word king and kingdom of God. And people were confused thinking that they were talking about an earthly political kingdom, not a spiritual kingdom. So John uses throughout his gospel the phrase eternal life, which means the quality and the endurance of life. The length of life and the quality of life, which Mark taught brilliantly, brilliant, brilliantly more brilliantly than I can speak. I'm parched. That's the problem. That's why I couldn't say that. But here, here's where the rub comes. Every political issue finds its roots in the Bible. Which means every issue is actually spiritual. But when people fight about what value, what core value is going to make it into our present tangible society, the fight is on. And that's what makes it political. So that's why it's confusing. So when people come to church and say, I don't want to hear about politics. Well, if you, t- if you touch on topics that are spiritual, but they've been now elevated to the political arena, it looks like you're being political when actually you're just being spiritual. I'll give an example. Throw out any topic. Throw out a political topic. What? Immigration. The Bible talks about the alien and how to treat them. And there are actual laws and rules about how godly people treat the alien. Did you know that? Another topic. Taxes. Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven and hell. Another topic. Oh, you, oh, you think you're slick? You think you got me? You don't know who you're dealing with, Bubba. Jesus says, do not anchor your investments in the earth where thief and moth can come and steal and corrupt, but put your treasures in heaven, which means you, sir, need to get rid of everything and give it to the poor today. If you truly want to follow Jesus with integrity. Boom. Give me another topic. Welfare. Okay. So you look at uh, welfare and you look at universal health care in the Bible. In the book of Acts. So anything we talk about that has to do with our human condition, you can find in the Bible. Which is why, if we're going to be the salt and light of the world and followers of Christ, we have got to get into the Word of God and get into prayer and learn God's value system. And then, of course, the application of it and the way we communicate it. Oh, dear God, that's a whole other topic, isn't it? Like, the only people Jesus rebuked were the religious people. But when he communicated his kingdom value system to those who had not yet come into the kingdom of God, he was so gracious, so loving. You know, he would initiate conversations and draw people in little by little. 
In February, we're going to do a series called No Place Left, where we want to share the gospel until there's no place left and no person left who has not heard the gospel. It's a worldwide movement that we're uh, a part of now. And we want to introduce you to it. But we want to talk about how to effectively share the kingdom in a way that is palatable so people can come to the beautiful Jesus that we all know. Amen? So this is the reality piece. We're in a relationship with him. But then we have this reality piece. So Pilate responds to him when Jesus says at the end of verse uh, 37, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate says in verse 38, well, what is truth? You see, that is not a new question. What is truth has been a question since the fall, since Adam and Eve fell from the Garden of Eden. You see, that's why Jesus says, I am the truth. Everything that comes out of my mouth is pure truth. Jesus is not confused about what the truth is about any given situation. That's why we have to go to him and his word and find out what the truth is about every situation in life. But what is truth has been a philosophical question and journey and debate ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden. And we don't know what truth is until we finally come back to Christ. And there's two primary ways that Jesus gives to us to know what the truth is. And this takes us to the third piece, which is resources. We talked about the relationship. That's how you begin following Christ. We talked about our reality. How do you view life through the world's lens or through Christ's lens? And then now we're looking at the resource piece where Jesus gives us these two primary things for us to be able to hear his voice. Remember, Oreo, Oreo, Oreo. Okay, that's my voice to my blind dog. Jesus also speaks to us with his voice. Mark, Mark, move away from the buffet table. Especially in January when your pastor said we're going to fast. Anthony, help him. Help your brother. This is the voice of Christ to you. Honey. No, wait, Jesus wouldn't say that. That was me. Darn. I was going to give you a command from Christ, and I messed it up. He calls out to us in two ways. One is his word. He said... And John, let, let me go back to this uh, last verse. I don't think I read it to you. In John chapter 17, verse 15 through 17, look what Jesus says about us being able to look through the proper lens. He says to his father in John 17 prayer, which Mark taught on last week, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. So whenever somebody comes up to me and says, Pastor, would you please pray for me to get a new job? My work environment is so dark. It's so ungodly. I mean, nobody there is a Christian. And, you know, I, please, i got to get out of there. It's so, it's so, you know, stressful. And I said, there's no way I'm ever going to pray that prayer for you, sweetheart. You are right where Jesus wants you. Because there's no reason to turn the lights on in a room that is bright. Light shines the brightest where it's the darkest. So you need to go out to your car in the parking lot at lunchtime and pray. Get in the Word. 
get a brother or sister to be your prayer partner, to encourage you, pray for one another, and get in there and be the best worker they have. Be a Daniel and bring in the wisdom of God to the marketplace of that office. Be forgiving, be humble, be loving, be kind. Overlook injustices and offenses. We're talking about following Christ, right? The Bible says, you know what the Bible says our calling is? To suffer. Yeah, First Peter. It says, Jesus left us an example who suffered when he did everything right, he suffered. And he said, and he left us an example. He said, but because of our conscience toward God, we endure suffering and then God rewards you for it. Okay, here we go. John chapter 17. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy, separate, whole by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. So the first source of truth is the word. The second source of truth is the Holy Spirit. These are the resources to follow Christ. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of, said again, the Holy Spirit's name is the Spirit of, the Spirit of truth. What a beautiful name. Look what he says here. I am writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray, Oreo. But you have received the Holy Spirit, and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what he teaches is true. It's not a lie. So just as he has taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. Isn't that beautiful? And so then we go to John chapter 20. You see that, Gary? You've already done two chapters. John chapter 20. And jumping into verse 19, it says this. Then, this is after Jesus rose from the dead. He walks through a closed door, and he says to his disciples, Then Jesus, the same day at evening, beginning the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace with you. That's the first thing Jesus offers you when you come to him. Whether it's the first time you come to him and he gives you the Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of peace, or the second or millionth or ten millionth time you and I come to him, the first thing he gives to us is peace. Because he knows we're sheep, we're fretful, we're skittish. We have a little dog we've adopted or from a rescue. I mean, this little dog is so skittish. I mean, it'll be all curled up in a blanket. I'll be sitting on the chair next to him. I'll get up and he goes like this, ready to jump and run and hide. I mean, he does it all the time. He just, we're just like that. We're just skittish. Because it's violent. I mean, the earth is getting erratic. The earth is not a safe place. Jesus comes and gives us peace. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. He said it the second time. As the Father has sent me, I send you. We'll look at that in a second. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive. The Holy Spirit. (laughs) I didn't know if that was a manifestation or if that was a sneeze or if that was somebody saying amen. 
But I'll take it. That was an exclamation point. I'll take it. Praise the Lord. Do you know, actually, some that are in deliverance ministry say sneezes actually releases demons. So you never know what's happening in the presence of God. Hey, we all have issues. You never know. Okay, I just lost that precious church member. What is this reminiscent of when he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit? Anybody? And creation at the very beginning when he created the first man and woman. It says that God took Adam by the face like this. How precious. And God went and he breathed the breath of life. And Adam woke up and said, God. See, that's why you can't rationalize somebody into the kingdom. You can help them maybe jump some intellectual hurdles to come to a place of faith. But until a person accepts the gospel that that they are a sinner, Jesus died for their sins so they wouldn't have to. Then Jesus rose from the dead and broke the power of death. And if they would receive him as their personal savior, their sins would be completely forgiven. So at that point, God breathes his spirit into their human spirit. And all of a sudden, they are what Jesus calls born again spiritually. And all of a sudden, it all starts making sense to them. The Bible starts making sense. They just have this internal faith that's a gift from God. That's why you can't beat somebody into the kingdom of God. You've got to help bring them to a place where they accept Christ and God breathes his spirit into them. And so, we go, we're moving forward into the last couple of pieces here. The representation piece. The representing piece. We looked at relationship. We looked at reality. We looked at our resources. And now, our calling. Our representing Christ to the world. Look what he says in verse 21. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. That means he has sent you into your Ph.D. program, Hope. At San Diego State, UCSD. He sent you there. Gary, he has sent you into your business that you are a part of. Uh, stay home moms, he has sent you into your household, into your kids' lives. He has sent you, engineers, into that work environment. He has sent you, professors, into that work environment. He has sent you, custodians, into the service industry. That is your environment. I mean, you pick it wherever you go, whatever you do. Whatever your occupation is, really, I think, is irrelevant other than God has hardwired you with a certain skill set, which is the fiddle you're supposed to play. But what you do where you are is the kingdom business. So no matter what your occupation is, it is being the light of the world while you were there. The word sent is apostello, which is set apart for a special service. Sent a, send, a, send a message by someone. Send out a mission to fulfill. Equip and dispatch with the full backing and authority of the sender. As we have learned, Christianity is not about willpower but spirit power. We must daily live by the power of the Spirit so we can overcome, here's our three battles, the flesh, which is our own sinful desires, the world, which is the world's value system, trying to press us into its mold, and Satan himself that will try to throw calamity into our lives. 
And as we fulfill our assignment of expressing and expanding the kingdom of God wherever we go, we need the Holy Spirit to do this. But it's not easy, is it? How many, how many find it's easy to be a follower of Christ where you work, where you play, where you live, with your family, with your friend, anybody? You find it really, really easy? How many of you find it a bit of a challenge to be a Christ follower wherever you go? Okay, so most of you don't know whether it's easy or hard. Let's try this again. How many of you find it difficult to be a solid Christian wherever you go? Okay, well, you're not alone. The first disciples had a, were, were challenged to say the least. Let's look in uh, verse 24 of chapter 20. Now, Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, here's Thomas, ready? Unless I see his hands and the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of his nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Now, for some of us, we would look at someone like Thomas and say, oh, unless it can be proven you won't believe it. Unless it's scientific, you're not going to believe. And we might be tempted to devalue them, to minimize them. You know, I was uh, at my son's bass lessons this week, and I got into a conversation with a guy who works there. And it was only my son and the bass instructor in a room, and then this guy who's waiting for the shop to close because he's the last one. And he's sitting out front, and he is very far from God. And as we're standing there, I handed him an invitation to the Christmas service. And he says, oh, no, thanks. I said, oh, just uh, not your cup of tea. He said, oh, he goes, that means I'd have to go with my family. And I don't like my family. <laughs> oh, really? It's kind of tough. Yeah, holidays can be tough for people. It's not always, you know, joy and peace and love. You know, some people have lost loved ones. Some people just, you know, got divorced and it's just hard. Holidays aren't always great for everybody. And uh, he said, yeah. I said, but, you know, so what about church itself? Like, you know, I don't know because my mom's girlfriend. Let me ask you a question. He said, you know, I find Christians can be some of the meanest people. And he looked at me like, you know, ready for a debate. And I said, I totally agree with you. He's like, oh, man, some of the meanest people I know are Christians. He's like, really? He goes, man, my girlfriend's mom, she's like, oh, Jesus, Jesus. But she's one of the meanest people I know. It was beautiful. Not, you know, that part wasn't. But just the fact. And I said, yeah. I, I, and he goes, let me ask you a question. He said, so like, can somebody say like they, you know, you know, give their life to Jesus, but then they can go out and murder people? And, and, and I said, was your mom, mother-in-law, or your girlfriend's mom murdering people? No, 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 not murdering people. I said, well, that's good, because you'd probably run away from her. He said, no, I mean, you know, that's an extreme example. I mean, like, you know, can they, you know, just be mean people and, and do ugly things and still, and like say, still get a, like you say, a free pass into heaven? And I said, no, probably not. They're probably not saved. Oh, what? Yeah, because James says, you know, your life actually is the proof that Christ actually lives inside you. They're not going to be perfect, but reading this conversation, right, it's just beautiful. And so he, he finds me not judging him, not devaluing him. And he starts talking about, okay, now Jesus got crucified, right? Yeah, he rose three days later. Now, three days, that means that those holes in his hands would start to, you know, decay, right? And then they would start, it would start uh, spreading up his arms. I mean, are there holes still in his hands? Or like, is it, is it like infected? And, 
See, he's coming from a scientific mindset. He's coming from a practical mindset. Rather than just mocking him or laughing at him, I start just conversing with him. I say, I love your questions, man. These are great questions. You know, when the power of the resurrection hit him, he probably probably healed him up. You think? Yeah, they probably, probably healed those holes. But actually, they're still there, but it's not infected. Because you see, Thomas, and I start talking about Thomas. Engaging people where they are at is the key to graciously drawing them to our Savior. Where did Jesus find you? Lord, have mercy on your soul. We have got to remember. I don't know. Maybe you were born perfect and you've been perfect your entire life. Like Josiah said to me this week, my 13-year-old son, he said, Jesus was perfect? I said, absolutely. He said, even as a kid? I said, yeah. He goes, poor mom. (laughs) That's what he said to me. Like, he's very intuitive. That'd be a hard kid to raise. How does Jesus respond to Thomas? After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came to the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. There's the peace again. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus meets us where we are and elevates us to where he is. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Thomas needed some evidence to help him increase his faith. Jesus gives it to him. I promise you, if you are not a follower of Christ yet, or if you're struggling, ask Jesus to help you. That's what I prayed. I said, Jesus, I don't know if you're real or not. But if you are, I'm asking you into my life. And then he proved himself to me over the months to come until I was fully convinced that Jesus is who he says he is. That's what I told that young man at the uh, music store to do. I said, just ask him. If you're real, I'm asking you to prove yourself to me. I said, he will. And just pay attention. I love this about Jesus. It's like me going back to get Oreo and getting him back on the path. And then John says in verse 30, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But they are written that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And then he elevates uh, Thomas by saying, Blessed are those who believe without seeing. You see, he takes Thomas from, I will meet you where you're at. I will give you some physical evidence to help you believe. But I'm telling you, the day that you don't need physical evidence anymore and you just believe without seeing is the day you will be the happiest because spiritual maturity is what he's talking about and spiritual maturity is about trust just trust me that's why i love talking to people and walking with the lord for decades they just have this deep trust god will take care of that god will be there he's faithful they've seen it so many times they don't need to see it anymore to believe they just believe and thomas obviously ended up believing because he took the gospel to the african continent And then the last piece, as we close, in chapter 21, is the restoration piece. This restoration piece is just so critical because this is where we all identify. 
So Jesus had, raised from the, had been raised from the dead and had presented himself to the disciples three times. But it says in chapter 21 that Peter, even though he had seen Jesus raised from the dead twice already, talked to him, I mean, twice since he'd been raised from the dead. He went back to fishing, his fishing business. It's where Jesus first found him. And the other disciples followed him. Why? Why did he go back to the fishing business? I mean, Jesus already breathed on him and received the Holy Spirit. As I send you, as God sent me, I send you. And yet Peter goes back fishing. I believe Peter just had a hard time believing that he was still on God's A plan. But you and I are always on God's A plan because he just recreates it and makes it the A plan. No matter how bad we screw up. Because he's the creator. He's the God of mercy and grace and the millionth chance. How many of you have ever felt like you're on God's B plan? Just be honest. Come on. No liars in the house of God. I absolutely have felt like I'm on God's D plan and I'm headed toward F. Right? And yet he's just so merciful. Gosh. Doesn't even talk to me about my sins and my failures. After I confess to him... He, he just, he gives me fresh vision and he brings people in my life to help resource what God's calling me to do. And he, he gives me wisdom and it's like, my, why are you being so good to me when I don't deserve it? How many have ever felt that way? Come on. That's, that's our good, 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 faithful God. Peter feels like he's on the B plan and his backslidden, shame filled B plan state of mind also caused the other followers to follow him. So you got to be careful. About your walk with Christ because people are following you. You're an influence and an example. So Jesus, what's he do? Peter's out fishing. Jesus, so gracious, Gary. He's so gracious. What's he do? He cooks them breakfast. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? He, he goes back to where he began with them. Relationship. You see, eating in the Middle East means friendship. Serving one of the food. Here's God cooking them breakfast. And he waits till they're all filled. And then he says, hey, Peter, I want to talk to you for a minute. And Peter's like, oh, crap. And Jesus just simply says, do you love me? Didn't talk to him about the denial. Didn't talk to him about his sin and his failures. He said, do you love me? And he used the word agape. Do you, like, love me unconditionally? And Peter couldn't do it. He couldn't say it. He said, I love you like a friend. And he asked him again, do you agape me? He said, "Uh, I love you like a friend. I think Peter was afraid that he couldn't be faithful. I think he was half-stepping. And you know what Jesus says to him? Do you love me like a friend? Yeah, you know I love you like a friend. Great. Feed my sheep. And he reinstates him into his calling even when Peter couldn't say, I agape you. Jesus again met him where he was at and said, that's good enough. Let's go. We'll, we'll, we'll get it together as we move forward. That might be you today. I know it's you today because it's all of us. And then Jesus says this. Peter, one day you're going to agape me. And it's going to be proven by the fact that they're going to martyr you. You're going to be martyred. You're going to be crucified. And you're going to make it all the way through. And you're not going to deny me. 
And then he says, come, follow me. So I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you need to tighten up that relational piece. Maybe you need to get back into the word of God and start looking at the world through Jesus's lens, not the world's lens, and get your reality fixed. Maybe you need to tap into the resources of the word of God and the Holy Spirit for the empowerment. Maybe you need to decide that your workplace is your mission field. And that's the representing Christ of the world. That's your calling. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. You've got to own that. You need to say, I am sent by God to the relationships that are in my life. Maybe you need the restoration piece or you've blown it. I need the restoration piece every morning. That's why I love the verse, my mercies, his mercies are new every morning. But some of you really need restored. You really feel spiritually broken. Welcome to a house of grace. I want to pray with you this morning. And I want to ask you, as I'm praying, if you'll come to Jesus right now, right where you are, just come to him. And just tell him, my relationship with you, I need that fixed. I want to come closer to you. I want to spend more time with you. Uh, I need your peace. You can just tell him that right now, that right where you are, if that's what you're talking about, that's what you need to say, the pressures of life, I'm letting them push our friendship aside. I'm not sitting with you on the couch and just talking with you and hearing your voice. Just go ahead and tell them. Maybe it's the reality piece. Maybe you're being influenced by friends who aren't following Christ and they are trying to convince you that to see things the way other than the way Jesus sees them. To say, Lord, fix my vision. Let me see things the way you see them. Your value system. Just ask them right now where you are. Maybe, maybe it's the resource piece. Say, Lord, I need your power. I need the power of your Holy Spirit. Fill me supernaturally. Maybe that's a representing piece. You say, Lord, I'm not seeing my workplace or my school or my family or my friends. I'm not seeing it as my mission field. I ask that you give me clarity that you've called me. You've called me to where I am to be your representative. Help me be a good representative. Help me reflect you in such a way that people are drawn to you. Maybe it's the restoration piece. Just ask him. Say, Lord, I need, I'm like Peter. I live in shame. I feel like I'm on your B plan at most. And all he asks you this morning is, do you still love me? And I know you'll say what Peter said. Of course I love you. And Jesus says, well, come on, let's go. thank you for inspiring John to write this gospel so we could see you and know you. Thank you that you're with us every minute of every day, everywhere we go. Thank you that you call us friends. Help us to be your friends. 
Let's all stand. I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come down front. Maybe one of these pieces really struck you. Maybe you've never given.